three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. The Lucha Bro, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. Before we dive in, let me just say, if you enjoy the weekly episodes of Anyone Can Run, be sure to smash, pound, and suplex that subscribe button. Additionally, if you have a friend who wants to get on the road to Gainesville, but doesn't quite know where to start, shoot him our inaugural episode and let's get to work. I appreciate those of you who listen, and if you enjoy the content, please take 30 seconds to leave a quick rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. It helps us on our path towards absolutely dominating the podcast charts. I sincerely appreciate it. All right, enough of that. This podcast is tailor-made for new runners who want to tackle their first race. But I understand, just because you sign up for a 5K or a half or a full marathon, that doesn't mean you're physically ready to tackle that test of endurance and strength. You may be the mentally strongest person on the block and are ready to commit and go all in, but if you haven't done any sort of strenuous physical activity in years, odds are, if you find a training plan and can't physically stick to it, there's a fair chance you'll get dejected and not want to continue your training. Today, we're going to cover what to expect when you're brand new to running. We're talking straight off the couch and you need to build up to a training plan. We're going to cover the foundation of the marathon mindset, the benefits of the run-walk method, the importance of learning how to listen to your body, as well as quickly discussing eating, running gear, and rest and recovery. Signing up is the easy part of the race experience. When you spend some cash to sign up for a race, it's exciting, especially if you've ever been to a race and seen the atmosphere and the runners with their medals and taking celebratory photos and all that. It's real easy to get caught up in the pomp and circumstance when you see the merch and everyone's stylish outfits either during the expo or at the start or finish lines. There's an old adage I've always heard that goes, it's the journey, not the destination, and I've never found it to be more apt than when pertaining to a marathon. Running a race of any distance is a time commitment, and the longer the race, the more grueling the experience becomes. However, with adequate time and preparation, you can certainly complete any mileage, but it's imperative you put in time and effort. I've worked with clients and conversed with people who have listened to this podcast, just one by the mixed gym, who have come to me and said, you know what? I do want to get on the road to Gainesville. I want to complete a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon in six months to a year, but I can't run more than 10 or 15 seconds. I'm here to tell all of them and you. If I hear the first part of that sentence from someone, in my personal opinion, it is my professional responsibility to cut them off the second they say the word, but... We want to foster a mindset of positivity and being solution-oriented as healthy and fit people, because it's all too easy to make a mistake and get off track. We've dedicated numerous episodes to discussing the importance of mental strength and building the marathon mentality, but I think it's important to look at the other side of the coin. My wife relayed to me something ages ago that resonated with me, and it's the reason I don't allow any negativity when live streaming. When people hear someone complain, they feel as if they are in a safe place to complain, to do the same. They begin voicing their displeasure or discomfort once they see someone else doing so. And this is something I've seen play out numerous times over the years, whether it be in person, in an office, a gym, or online, or virtually on any social media platform. 
I'm not saying we need to avoid negativity at all costs. That's unrealistic. But when undertaking a new goal, which we know is going to be difficult and which many view as insurmountable, we're not doing ourselves any favors if we're immersing ourselves in an environment of negativity. I've trained many quote-unquote normal people and many quote-unquote athletes, and I'm here to tell you, athletes are straight-up psychomaniacs. They're insanely driven, as one needs to be to get to an elite level, but the fragility of a mindset, regardless of how long it took to develop, and if it belongs to a normal person or a high-level athlete, cannot be trivialized. As such, we've got to set ourselves up for success. That was a bit of an anecdote, but the point is, when someone comes to me and shows the spark or the inkling of a desire to live healthier and more fit than they were yesterday, it's my professional responsibility to foster that desire and cultivate it. When someone shows that vulnerability and comes to me as a professional seeking assistance, it's because they have the desire to improve themselves, but they just don't know where to start. As such, I want them to immediately stop the negativity, whether it be from external sources such as social media or dropping the word but when conversing about their health and fitness goals. We certainly don't want today's conversation to go down the rabbit hole of discussing negativity and how it can adversely impact our goals, but the point is, there's so much negativity out there from other people which can influence our mindset, so best to turn away from it so we can focus on our journey on the road to Gainesville. Speaking of our journey, let's talk about what you can expect as a new runner who wants to tackle their first race but can't spend more than 15 or 30 seconds actually running. And when you're running, it's little more than a glorified walk. You know what I say to those people? I say, yeah, 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 keep up the good work because everyone starts somewhere. One of my favorite sayings is from Diamond Dallas Page, who founded DDP Yoga. During his videos, he says, repetition is the mother of learning. And while you may already know how to run, you can still get faster, go further, and feel stronger. But you've got to be cognizant of how you're improving because you're always improving, even if it doesn't feel like it. And you want to make a concerted effort to push yourself just a little more each day. Using our previous example, let's say you're a brand new runner and you just want to know what it'll take for you to run more. That's a very easy concern to address. And a great jumping off point for a new runner, the answer is simple. Let's spend more time running. Now before you tune me out as saying, no duh Sherlock, hear me out. Let's say you can only run for approximately 15 seconds at a time. That's fine. Using interval training or the run-walk method, tomato-tomato, you can steadily build both cardiovascular and muscular strength. If you can only run for 15 seconds and you feel absolutely gassed, then if you use a variation, such as running for 5 seconds and then walking for 55, you can do this for 10 or 15 minutes. And then not only have you covered more distance, you spent more time actually running. When using the run-walk method, during the running phase, you aren't going all out. If the word jog, which is a dirty word in my mind as I consider myself a runner, but that's just a word, makes more sense to you, meaning you're moving slightly faster than a brisk walk, then jog. The point is, those five seconds where you're running shouldn't be an all-out sprint because building cardiovascular and muscular strength and endurance is a process. Additionally, the walking portion shouldn't be a power walk or anything like that. It should be a regular walk, the kind you do while walking through a store. The idea is to use the walking interval to rest and recover and prepare for the next running interval. The run-walk method is how I completed my first race and is still how I train many of my clients, including how I run whenever I'm training with my wife. There are some days where I absolutely do not feel like running, and if that's the case, I still use a variation of the run-walk method. The beauty of this technique is you can adjust it to your fitness level. For most of my clients, we typically start with 30 seconds running and then 30 seconds walking. 
If this is too much, we adjust to 15 seconds jogging or running, whatever you want to call it, and 45 seconds walking, and so on and so forth, all based within minute intervals. When I run with my wife, we typically do 5 minutes of running followed by 1 minute of walking. For the days we just discussed, where I don't feel much like running, in my personal training, get it, sometimes I do 3 minutes running or 5 or 10, the exact time frame should be something that's comfortable for you and allows you to get in multiple running intervals. As far as pace goes, your goal for your first race is always to complete the 5K or 26.2 miles or whatever in the upright position, so your pace should be comfortable enough for you to carry on a conversation, even by the time you cross the finish line. If you're huffing and puffing after 30 seconds, but you know you can physically run for 30 seconds quite comfortably, then slow down your pace. If the 30 seconds is too much, reduce it. Your pace doesn't have to be incredibly fast. It can be slightly more than a brisk walk if that's what's comfortable for your fitness level. On the subject of pace, today we're assuming you're a brand new runner off the couch who is building up to beginning a race training plan, so don't worry too much about pace. That being said, it is beneficial to time yourself using a running app or watch because you want to ensure you're sticking to the intervals you've assigned yourself. However, we're using these apps to stick to our intervals and down the road so we can track our progress. The primary focus of building up to a training plan should be to get accustomed to the rigors of running and by extension, building our muscular and cardiovascular strength, but also learning how to listen to our body, which is the greatest skill in a runner's arsenal and one that's only gained through experience. I have all of my clients who are brand new runners trained the same way I have all of my new marathoners trained because in my eyes, every new runner can and should become a marathoner at some point. Hey, it only takes one marathon for you to become a marathoner, but that's a discussion for a different time. When I say I have all my new running clients train in the same way I have all my marathoners train, I mean I emphasize them building endurance. If you're huffing and puffing while running, odds are your body's going to force you to ease off the throttle, as that's the last sign you're going to need to slow down. When I'm training new runners, we virtually never get to this point in the opening weeks for a litany of reasons. One, I don't want them to feel physically exhausted, as this can lead to them feeling dejected, which will make them think they can't do this or it isn't natural or whatever. Two, I personally don't see the benefit of having my clients go full throttle when they can barely run 15 seconds at a time, from either a physical or mental perspective. Most of my justification is centered around these two reasons, but the point is, I'm trying to set my clients up for success and by starting slow, I can guide them through the process of listening to their bodies and learning when they need to slow down and when they can push a little harder while not burning through their energy reserves. As I reminisced in our inaugural episode, at just over the halfway point of my first marathon, I began to feel a very slight twinge in my calf, and had I just pushed through like I did throughout the course of my training, odds are I would have cramped up and not finished the race. To ensure each of my fellow clients learn what it feels like to adapt during physical activity, we start off slow, and I'm constantly asking them how their legs feel, how their arms feel, or chest feel, so on and so forth. They start to recognize when they're halfway through a running session. Hey, you know what? I've got a little more in the tank, so let's extend the running intervals by five seconds because they're learning what their muscles can handle. Again, when we're building to a training plan and starting out as a brand new runner off the couch, the goal isn't to be the fastest straight out of the gate, right? You're not going to get off the couch and be shadling Flanagan. We want to build a solid mental, muscular, and cardiovascular foundation, and we want to learn to read the signs given to us by our bodies. We're tracking our pace via a running app or a watch or a fitness tracker or whatever, but this is data which will be useful in a few months when we actually begin sticking to a training plan. 
when we're just starting out, we're using our technology as little more than timekeepers to ensure we're sticking to the intervals we've assigned ourselves. While we're on the subject of record keeping, it makes sense to discuss how we can monitor our progress in the first couple months of our running endeavors. It may sound counterintuitive to everything we've just discussed, such as not being overly concerned with pace, but we need to monitor our progress to keep ourselves motivated and push ourselves to run for longer or faster so we can continually improve. Down the road, we'll need to ensure we're going to come in under the assigned course time limit or whatever race we're tackling, although that's not too much of a concern when we're trying to build up to being mentally and physically prepared for a training plan. Think about it. If day one you're starting out and you're using an interval of 5 seconds running, 55 seconds walking, and then a month later you're at 15 or 30 seconds running, that's a drastic improvement. Even if your speed hasn't increased exponentially, the amount of time you spent physically running has, and as a result, the distance you've covered will as well. When you're doing something every other day, it can be difficult to feel as if you're improving. Chalk it up to that whole being so deep in the woods you can't see the trees type thing. The point is, by tracking all of our activities, whether it's using technology like a running app or watch, or even writing everything down in a planner or on a calendar, I do both for the record, you'll be able to see how much faster and further you're running. If you're going out and just running every day, and you're able to leverage the run-walk method effectively without tracking everything, and you're able to gradually increase the intervals you're running and so on and so forth, then fantastic! More power to you because you've already developed the mental discipline to stick to a training plan and are well on your way towards living a healthier and stronger life. Most of the clients I've worked with over the years struggle with this, and monitoring our progress, while not imperative in the early days, can serve as a fantastic motivational tool and is useful for adjusting training plans down the road to improve speed, endurance, or all of the above. As a brand new, fresh-faced runner who wants to build up to a training plan, our goal is to build ourselves up to a point where we're physically and mentally confident enough to stick to a race plan, right? As a result, we don't really need that much, apart from a solid pair of running shoes and some decent running clothes. That being said, when undertaking any new endeavor, you're a mark for a litany of marketing speak and gimmicks all aimed at separating you from your hard-earned cash. And this is the reason we devoted an entire previous episode to running gear, including how to choose the right type of shoes for you and the plethora of options available for you when it comes to clothes and equipment. I certainly don't want to rehash an entire episode, but running gear is something that's important to runners, and it's a rabbit hole you can go down that can be crazy expensive if you allow it, so I want to spend a little bit of time discussing the absolute essentials. You want to be comfortable while running, and the single most expensive and essential piece of equipment is a solid pair of running shoes. You want to ensure you select the best ones for your foot shape, and the best way to know what kind of shoe you need is to go to a running store and to do the treadmill test, although you can do this at home using the wet test. If you want a deep dive into the wet test, do a quick Google search or pop back into the archives and give our running gear episode a listen. But the main takeaway is to invest in a solid pair of running shoes because they are the most important and really only specialized equipment you need as a new runner. Obviously, you'll need tights or shorts or tank tops or shirts or whatever, depending on the climate where you run, so I don't want to focus on any of that. However, if I can give another personal and professional recommendation, I'd recommend you pick up a stick of body glide and a solid headband or sweatband as well, because sweat in your eyes is for suckers. Again, we've covered running gear at length previously, so I don't want to dive into it. But as a new runner, get a solid pair of running shoes, running clothes that tickle your fancy, and a stick of body glide and something to keep the sweat out of your eyes. 
apart from shoes, which can get quite pricey, but are worth every penny since you get what you pay for, pretty much everything else can be picked up at a local sporting goods store for less than 60 bucks total. Your gear can be as frugal or as expensive as you want it to be. Since we had a quick discussion about gear, the next thing new runners should be cognizant of is nutrition. I reiterate this every time we discuss food, but I'm not a certified nutritionist or dietitian, so it would be inappropriate for me to tell a client what to eat. That being said, we can certainly discuss nutrition and food at length as it's an integral component of living a healthy and fit lifestyle, and it's important we discuss these subjects in a straightforward manner. We've devoted two previous episodes to the mental approach to food and how I eat in the days leading up to and actually during a marathon. Those episodes are titled Food for Thought and Marathon Eating, respectively. As a new runner who is fresh off the couch, I don't want to bombard you with specifics about macros or anything like that. I just want to have a simple conversation about how you can identify and make any necessary eating adjustments once you kick off your journey on the road to Gainesville. Short story incoming alert. There was a period when I was going to have some dental work done. And I knew I wouldn't be able to chew for a couple days and possibly a week. So I used that as a kicking off point to try eating vegan for a month. Let me tell you right now, my workouts and runs have never felt as good as they did during that month. I never felt heavy. I would feel literally nothing in my stomach while running. I didn't have any headaches except when I didn't imbibe my copious amounts of caffeine. I just felt incredible. However, Old habits die hard, and once the month was up, I ended up going to Taco Bell and my vegan days were out the window. I relay this anecdote because we as runners need to learn how to listen to all parts of our bodies, not just while running, but all the time. The way you eat, I'm not a fan of the word diet because to me it has temporary connotations, is the one thing you've nearly total control over, and it's important to realize how your tum-tum feels while running. The only eating or dieting technique I'm all for is called the elimination diet because it forces you to pay attention to how you physically feel when certain foods are not part of your regular intake. A few years ago, I cut out all grains, dairy, and red meat. And I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't the easiest week of my life, but after that week, I added grains back in. I felt solid, and as long as I wasn't overeating, my workouts were great. The next week, I added back in small amounts of red meat. And while I didn't hinder my workout performance, it always felt like it sat in my stomach and made me feel heavy. As a result, I have it very infrequently now. When I added dairy back in, let me just say it was a bad situation. Bathroom breaks, cramps, it was all bad. As a result, I'm currently dairy-free for the most part. When you're a new runner, you want to focus on getting your workouts in so you can build your strength. But like we discussed, learning how to listen to your body is of the utmost importance. If you want a hard and fast rule you can stick to as a new runner, and we covered this in previous episodes, make sure you don't eat anything with more than 3 grams of sugar, but that's a pretty tall task once you start reading nutritional labels and information. If you haven't done any physical activity in months or years, and you decide to go for a run using the run-walk method of 5 seconds on, 55 seconds off, and let's say you do that for anywhere between 10 to 30 minutes, odds are you're going to feel pretty dang sore. You'll be one of those people saying, oh, I'm sore in places I didn't even know I had and all that. If you're so dang sore you can't move, take a day off. It's not a big deal. If you're sore and you can move without feeling like you're going to break something, you can use a foam roller to roll out and do some active recovery, such as going for a walk or doing yoga or doing pretty much anything else other than running that isn't super strenuous on your calves. Just know, the soreness will subside eventually, and once you start running with regularity, you won't be so sore you can't move. 
Like we discussed, it takes some time for your body to get accustomed to the rigors of running, and repetition is the mother of learning, so keep running, and eventually you'll get stronger. I bring up soreness, because as a new runner, it may physically hurt or be uncomfortable, but as we've been talking about throughout the course of this episode, you've got to learn how to listen to your body. There is a huge difference between being sore and uncomfortable and being in pain, and even being on the cusp of being in pain. And with time, running, and experience, you'll be able to spot the difference immediately. No other human being on the face of planet Earth knows exactly how you physically feel. So over the course of building up to a training plan, learn to listen to your body. Earlier, I mentioned how I felt a slight twinge in my first marathon, and I started walking because I knew something was going to go wrong. Well, during training, I felt something similar many times, and on my longest run prior to race day, I kept running as usual and ended up getting the worst cramp of my life. I ended up limping back a solid three miles or so to my car because when I felt something, even though it felt different than normal, I didn't think anything of it. I ended up getting hurt and couldn't run in the weeks leading up to the race, so needless to say, it was a bad time. However, that experience showed me what it feels like to be on the cusp of getting a cramp, something that had happened to me sporadically over the years, and using that knowledge, I was able to identify when something could go wrong and make necessary adjustments. If you need time to slow down mid-run, or to stop completely even if you're almost done, just do so. The last thing you want to do is push yourself when you don't need to and risk injury or have something go wrong. One of the reasons I kicked off Anyone Can Run is because when I signed up for my first race, I didn't feel as if I could locate any content that was direct, authentic, and succinct. And I'm here to tell you, I've made a lot of boneheaded mistakes when it comes to my health and fitness over the years. And hopefully, I can prevent you from making similar mistakes. As a new runner, when I was fresh off the couch and signed up for a marathon with just over four months notice, which is not the best idea I've ever had, but was an experience I wouldn't trade for the world, I wanted to run every day. I was gung-ho and ready to get to work. So even if I was sore or a joint was bothering me, I'd lace up my shoes and go out for a run. I've worked with clients who push themselves all out from day one because they are committed to reaching their health and fitness goals. And while I love the attitude, I don't find this to be the most intelligent approach. I explained why, when working with clients, I have them start off slow over the first couple weeks, especially when they're brand new to running and are working their way up to a training plan. Your muscles need time to recover and adapt to the rigors of running. Not adequately resting can lead to mental and physical burnout, muscle fatigue, and increases your risk of injury. Back in my younger days, before I was a certified personal trainer, I was one of those hashtag no days off type people when it came to my fitness. And that, along with a lack of proper instruction when it came to all types of weightlifting, led to a bunch of issues and minor injuries. Resting is an integral part of a training plan, and your body will let you know when you absolutely should not go out and pound the pavement. This is why it's important to be able to identify the delineation between soreness and pain so you can know when there are days you need to take it easy on the track and when you shouldn't go out at all. As a brand new runner, there are a ton of things you're going to learn and need to be aware of. Today, we've discussed some of the most important things I wish I had known when I first started my journey on the road to Gainesville. It may seem like a daunting task, the idea of running or jogging 26.2 miles in the upright position continuously, but with time and dedication, even if you start by running 5 seconds on and 55 seconds off, you'll be able to cross that finish line of your first marathon. I appreciate you spending some time with me today, and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. 
We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast every Monday in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Anyone Can Run Pod. We also currently open the Mix Gym, located at mixer.com slash truebros, weekdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Central Time. So be sure to follow and turn on notifications if you ever want to talk running or anything else with me in real time, or just to show a little support for yours truly. Like we mentioned at the start of this episode, if you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another reach our goal of living a healthy and fit lifestyle. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us reach our goal of dominating the charts. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.